You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. And it is tech fan number 242. I guess I ought to rename the GarageBand file so I don't mess that up again later, shouldn't I, Owen? <laughs> that never happens. <laughs> so as I said, as David said last week, he is on vacation this week. And so not only did I replace him with one person, but two people. Owen Rubin, hello. Welcome back. Hi there. And we've got a guest who was on almost, we're about two weeks shy, but almost exactly one year ago. He hosts the Podcast Digest podcast. It's a really good one. His name is Dan Lizette. Hello, Dan. Hey, Tim. Hey, Owen. Hey, how you doing, Dan? So last time we had Dan on the show, it was more of an interview thing. This time we're just going to just going to run with our or our normal stream of consciousness that works for everyone (laughs) (laughs) so you know guys david and i have been talking about i've been honestly i've been talking about it for a number of years how poorly done apple services is being run uh, the back end for all of their basically internet connected devices. Um, I, I just thought it was really, really bad. And about a year ago, a lot of um, well known Mac users, supporters of the company, started making a lot of noise about the lack of quality in Apple software. And we've talked about that here as well. Well, an LA Times story came out this week. Uh, the title is Column. Oh, wait, Apple takes its eye off the ball. Why? Why Apple fans are really coming to hate Apple software? And I don't know, Dan. It seemed to me that after what Owen and, or uh, David and I just talked about, this is kind of right in that wheelhouse, don't you think? Yeah, this story has sort of been exploding in waves over the internet over the last couple of weeks. And you're right, it started a little while ago. I mean, the first time that I ever heard it get mass attention in terms of uh, the public media going crazy was Marco Arment's article about the uh, losing the functional high ground or what have you. And then that set off a war of, of conversation. But now Walt Mossberg's coming around with his article on Virgin Recode. And now everybody's sort of highlighting the fact that a lot of these big Apple tech reporters, pundits, reviewers, developers are starting to get really dissatisfied with uh, sort of the level of quality they're seeing with you know the software as well as the back-end services like you mentioned, Tim. And it is. It's pretty sad that, that it has kind of come to this. And it's an interesting conversation. I'm sure we're going to get into about why. But I think one of the things that is the most prevalent is the annual upgrade cycle that both iOS and macOS are locked in and for apparently marketing purposes only on new big revisions. And you got to think it takes four, five, six, seven months or more for them to prep for the next release, which leaves them a very small window to work out the bugs from the last one. And I think that's what we're seeing now is that this whole thing is just catching up with them. Now, Owen, you're someone who actually wrote software within Apple. Yep. You understand the product cycle. You understand what it really means to deploy, test, all of that system-level software. Do you think that this, as Dan just said, and I and I, re- I 100% agree, this yearly cycle of a new OS is really kneecapping Apple's engineers? So my guess is that the people who fix these bugs aren't necessarily the people who wrote the software originally, for one thing. Um, but I can tell... So it's been a while since I've been at Apple, and you know that. But sure. I can tell you... On one system release, I'm not going to say which one, when I was there, um, there, there used to be this thing called the Gang of Five, which was these five guys who, that, would, that were the, the uber geeks of the system software, and they would decide what, what happened. And I remember when this system software was going to release, I think it released with maybe like 75 priority one bugs. They just mm. couldn't put them all out. And they said, well, we're releasing it anyway. Do you think that's a problem in tech companies in general, or do you think this is something? Yes. I mean, look, Dan, you can go back in time and look at what Microsoft used to do with their OS updates. It, it was horrendous. I mean, they would release just really bad bugs in their software, and it would take them years to finally fix it. But Apple is not waiting years to fix these things because next year there's another one. 
Yeah, and it, it's funny how it's interesting that it's getting so much attention now, and I think it's because the certain individuals are speaking up, because I think you're right, Tim, this has been around a long time. This is not necessarily something new, but I think what's happening is, well, I mean, more and more devices are being sold every year. The audience is getting broader and broader and broader. Apple's selling and, more Macs now than they've ever sold before. And yeah, this is a product that came out in 84. I mean, that's that's an amazing statistic to me. I understand selling a lot of iPads, a lot of Apple Watches, although I don't think they're selling a lot of Apple Watches, uh, <laughs> a lot of iPhones. I get that. But Macs, I mean, it's a resurgence. You and know I've been I've been complaining about this for about three years. Yeah, I know yeah, you have. I mean, I've, been, I've been saying for the last at least three years – Apple software has gone to crap, and it gets worse every year. And when I saw this article, I was like, yeah, it's like finally people, other people are starting to jump up and say, okay, it's really happening. Uh, I've said my, Apple's become the new Microsoft. It's Stuff is buggy. They take out feet. And I think what happens, too, when you were talking about not enough time, Tim, they take out features because they can't fix them. Do you think it's a – do you think, Dan – Apple is the new Microsoft when it comes to this, this lack of polish that, let's be honest, that's what Apple was known for. It wasn't that it was easier to use. I think that's a misnomer. I always think that Apple software was just more intuitive to use. It, it worked the way you thought it should work. Do you think that's going away, and are they becoming the new Microsoft? I don't think so. That's, that's what I think. What I think is that Apple is fighting against a prior life that they had the prior life for microsoft in older windows products was always you know the blue screen of death and the crazy errors and the pop-ups and this that and the other and they've improved on that over time so they've come from a bad place and they've worked you know to make it a better experience for the end user whereas kind of the reverse is for apple at this point where five six seven years ago you rarely heard about any of these things the first couple of revisions of the iphone or ipad as well as you know, the Macs from, say, the mid-2000s, we're, we're fairly problemless in terms of software. Uh, but now there's so much more software. There's so many more integrations. Like they talk about mail and the strange IMAP thing that Gmail does or these other applications that they've now built out that weren't there, you know, the enhancements to notes or, or the new music memos or, uh, you know, I improvements and upgrades to mail on iOS, even though it lacks far behind so many of the third parties. They they have constantly added more complexity to a lot of the internal applications and oftentimes linking that all together with iCloud, which everyone knows is way less than satisfactory. So they've kind of had problems upon problems upon problems, and they're only making them worse by expanding the complexity of all of these different applications. Along with the audience being broader, I think more light's being shown upon these issues. Do you think it's, Owen, it's because they're concentrating more on the consumer market and less on professionals and as an example of that, I would point to iPhoto, which is the the new Photos app isn't nearly as capable, and Final uh, Final Cut Pro, where they had they they were the the industry standard, and they're just simply not anymore. I, that's a good question. I don't agree, Dan. I disagree with you that the complexity has gone up. I think just the opposite; it's gone down. I think they've taken features out. I the I just updated to El Capitan, and I'm so angry at what iPhoto did to my photos. I had them nicely arranged the way I like them, and they took out features and then sorted them by date because that was just simple. Um, I, I think Mail has lost features I used to use. I I just see features disappear like crazy. I, iTunes has features that went away, or they're hidden. Yeah. Uh, you know, To convert a file to MP3 used to be very simplistic in very iTunes. Very simple. Now you have to dig through menus to find it. I, the, like the, I tried to do a search because I wanted to find out where a file lived. Have you? Do you know how to do that now? Yeah. You have to search and then press like what is it? The option key or the command key? Well, you hit then, the right key and then show where it's at. Or you can hold down one. I, I don't know if it's option, control, or command, and it puts the path underneath the file. Yeah. But you can't see the whole path if it's long. <laughs> it's just I don't know. I just find that. I think the people that you, a lot of people who used to be there are gone. Uh, you know, the engineers who did it originally. And it's new, younger engineers. And I don't know if they have the same eye on quality and if there's anybody there that's pushing it the same way. I just feel like, you know, maybe it's it, the, you know, there's a sea change at Apple and this may be the way it goes. I yeah, it does worry me. 
my biggest fear is five years from now, I'm going to be looking for an alternative because I just can't take the, the constant change for change's sake. Yeah, um, that's, that's, that's a key. That, to me, what do you think, Dan? Do you think change for change's sake is a good thing or a bad thing when it comes to software? Because it, to be honest, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not anti-progressive. I want new, better, faster. I want all those things, but I, I don't want it to change just to change without a good reason behind it. And I see that happening, honestly, quite a bit with Apple products. They'll change something just to change it. Yeah, no, that's bad. I mean, if that's if that's the motivation, then clearly, you know, what's funny is, um, you know, I listen to a lot of tech podcasts. One uh, on a, one I heard this week. Uh, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with the uh, Apple Pencil's navigational ability outside of drawing or writing apps appears to be out in the current 9.3 beta. You that's the name of a podcast? Wow, that's a long podcast. Name. No, no. The podcast <laughs> I was listening to was, uh, actually, it was uh, Connected from oh, Relay. Okay, sure. They, they were talking about how that appears to be taken out, which, like you were talking about, change for change sakes. If that actually makes 9.3, likely to accompany next month the iPad Air 3 and probably pencil functionality going to the iPad Air 3 as well, if they've just chosen to remove the ability to navigate with the pencil and say, no, you can only use this for drawing, um, then that could be one of those things that would fit under the header of change for change sake. What is the real benefit or what is the cost of removing the ability for one to be able to navigate with a pencil. Who knows? And it seems like one of those change for change sakes. And if that's the case, no, it's not good at all. I'm not sure that that's necessarily what's happening here. I mean, I think the other thing too is that whenever you don't have an answer or something seems mysterious, the thing you always want to do is look at the money. Sure. Right? The, the stock market and the investors have been jumping on them more and more and more and more. What makes Apple's money? It's not software. It's the hardware. And as long as the hardware keeps clicking on all cylinders, and with maybe a few misses here or there, I don't know that anyone would argue that Apple doesn't make the best hardware in most of these categories. Yeah, but that's only because of the software that runs underneath it. Yeah, I mean, if you look at some of those new HP uh, laptops that look just like a MacBook, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, it's really hard to argue that the hardware is not as good as Apple's. Look at the new uh, the new. Google, Google uh, what is it, the Chromebook, the uh, Pebble, or not the Pebble? The Pixel. Uh, Pixel. Pixel. Beautiful machine, hardware-wise. Specs, it's just amazing. It looks like it's a, it looks like Apple could have designed it, to be honest. And yet, what makes it not good? The software. So, yes, Apple sells the har hardware. That's where they make their business. They don't really sell software too much anymore at all. Um, but it's that software and hardware integration that makes Apple's hardware sales what they are. I mean, the well, iOS is what makes the iPhone the iPhone. You, if you if you could install Android on an iPhone 6 Plus, would it sell any better or worse? I think it would sell worse. I can tell you that uh, at the last job I was at, <clears throat> there were about six people who had MacBook Pros that were booting Windows. Yeah. And and their, la their comment was, it's the best Windows machine you can buy. Right, so they did. They think the hardware was good, even with Windows on it. I, and then there was two people that had the new Surface tablet, the one that pulls apart. Yep. I, I thought about buying one. I, I was blown away with that thing on Windows 10 and and the hardware and how good it was. They, you know, they let me play with it for a couple hours. I was like, holy crap, this is this has gotten really good. So if hardware, and this is, you both are saying it's definitely the hardware. So if hardware is what's Number one with Apple. That's what's driving sales. That's why be, people buy their product. Let me ask you, starting with you, Dan, is it easier for a competitor to compete with Apple in hardware or software? Is it easier for a competitor to compete? Probably easier to compete on software, especially given the fact of the decline that we've been talking about. As Apple software continues to exemplify more bugs and exhibit more problems. Windows or Android, if we're talking desktop or mobile OS, are slowly catching up. I mean, Android's a perfect example. Five years ago, most people would say, I know I would say, Android was a dog. You know, back in the early days, Android 2.0, 3.0, Honeycomb, all that was not good. Now, in 6, it has come a long way and they've yeah. caught up and to a huge degree in terms of usability and security and, and stability. And if Apple's 
software continues to falter, they could get passed from a software standpoint. I don't believe they've been passed yet, but it's certainly possible. Hardware-wise, I think and what I was alluding to earlier in terms of hardware and the reason I think that drives the sales is that Apple's had a hardware reputation for a long, long time. And if you look specifically at a product out today, you may be able to find concerns, but the, the reputation is out there. Even your average consumer knows an Apple product visual. All tablets are called iPads. So many smartphones are called iPhones. And that's there because the reputation is ingrained in the consumer mind. And the hardware did that, not the software. What do you think, Owen? If you're going to compete with Apple, are you going to go after them on a software basis or a hardware basis? I, I tend to agree with Dan on this one. Um, as you, I, well, maybe you know, I, sitting in front of me is a Sony phone now because I worked, I worked with Andy Rubin, the guy who invented Android, and he said, "Try Android. You know, just here, here's a phone. Try it." And um, the Sony hardware, it's close. It's not. It doesn't feel quite as good as an iPhone. So I think they're not there on hardware. On the latest Android. It's, I'll tell you what I see on Android. It's not polished like the like iOS is. Um, all these people attacking their software side haven't quite got there. I agree as well, but they're damn close. Um, I can do more on my Android than I can do on my iPhone, and that's. It took me a while. It took me about two weeks to get used to it because I was so used to iOS. So I think you go after the software and you make your software more reliable. The hardware will matter less. Like these people running Windows on a Mac, so. They don't like Mac. They don't like OS ten, so they run Windows, but they're still using the hardware. That speaks volumes on saying, "Oh, the hardware is good, but we don't like the software." Interesting. I, I think that I, I'm I'm kind of torn to be honest with you. If I was starting up a direct competitor to Apple, whether it was mobile or desktop, whatever. I I think it's going to be easier to compete with them in hardware. To be honest. Um, reputation aside, a good-looking product is going to sell. And I think writing really good software is infinitely harder than creating really good hardware. Um, but <laughs> you can't have one without the other, in my opinion. And that's yeah. where my fear with what's going on within Apple now, or at least from an outsider's perspective looking in, the software is really lagging behind, and, and they're going to have to change something because I fear this is eventually going to catch up with them, Dan. Eventually, you got to get better with the software. you got to have more reliable software. Otherwise, people are going to start getting more and more turned off, and even though your hardware looks amazing and it is great stuff, ah, you know what, this one over here that's not quite as nice, but it works a lot better. At the end of the day, I think, I think that's going to matter more. No, I think you're right, and I've I've always said this, and I've seen this in my own purchasing behavior over the years. Hardware is going to drive initial sales. Software is going to drive the repeat sales. Yeah. If you buy something pretty and you like it and it looks cool and it's light and it's powerful and whatever the case may be, but then if that's a dog and it's a nightmare every time you're using it and causes you headaches constantly, you're not going back to that platform and you're going to look somewhere else. Uh, hardware be damned. Yeah. And that's exactly what I think we see. So Apple, I think, often gets the first uh, first shot because of the hardware. Even your more most ardent Android fans have probably tried out an iPhone, whether it was an early purchase, I used to have the 3GS, or they used a Friends for a little while, uh, and then they've, they've gone away for whatever, whatever the reason, because of the software more than likely. Um, you know, if it, unless you're talking about um, you know, uh, antenna lines or camera bumps or lack of ports. You know, the hardware complaints are, are more user specific or personal preference than they are necessarily, uh, overwhelmed commentary on lack of quality in hardware. So I think you're right. I think eventually software will catch up to you. And if you do get the first shot, you need to be able to keep them in software is what's going to keep them. Owen, oh, if. If it's accepted that the software is on a downward spiral at Apple, and software being not just operating systems, but the underlining pinnings yeah. of services as well as apps, is that Tim Cook's fault? Is is does this land right at his feet? Of course it does. I mean, it, you know, um, Steve had an interesting problem with people that they didn't like him because he made demands, and I don't know how Tim manages, but. I wonder if he's in there saying, no, it, this is why we do it this way. Uh, people I know who worked at Apple under, under Steve in the later years said he was like that. He'd come in and look at something and go, no, that's, that, we don't do it that way. 
Um, and I don't want to, I, I, I don't want to put Steve on a pedestal in that he didn't make any mistakes in software or that all the software that was released under him was brilliant. It clearly wasn't. I mean, we all know better than that, but you'd always knew as a consumer, some, especially someone in what we do following this industry, I've been following it for 21 years. Owen, you've been in this industry longer. Yeah. Um, and, and Dan, you talk to a lot of people in this industry on a weekly basis on the podcast digest. See how I did that right there, by the way. Nice. Um, <laughs> what, pod, what podcast? King, Tim, king of the plug. Um, wait a minute. That's kind of, yeah, don't Google that search. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, he, he was always there with good taste. And I don't know if that's missing Dan at this point at Apple, someone with just that, that impeccable taste that knows this is right. And this is wrong. You on can't quantify side. on the software side. You can't quantify it, but you know when it's right or wrong. I think that they have it on the hardware side for obvious reasons. Um, but on uh, Johnny Ives, by the way, is the answer there. But on the software side, I, I just don't know. Do they have that? Is that what's missing? Probably not. You know, they probably don't have that person to do that. But, you know, not many people or companies have a Steve Jobs. Uh, so I don't know that they're ever going to replace him or everyone who's ever going to serve in the same type of capacity. But another thing, kind of play devil's advocate here and kind of zoom out on this whole conversation. I, I would make this argument that what we're looking at here is not necessarily, I think, a decline in the quality of Apple services for the sake of some... Uh, specific failure on behalf of Tim or Craig or Phil or any of the executives. I think what we're seeing now is software and services in 2016 is a completely different animal than it was, say, 2006. Absolutely. And what I mean by that is that the interconnectivity now that is being built in and expected of devices. My iPhone talks to my iPad, which talks to my Mac Mini, which talks to my MacBook Pro. Photos are moving between them. Contacts are moving. And that didn't happen in 2006, at least not to this degree. And I think this is early days still of all of these devices intercommunicating inter with each other, integrating further and further and further. When you look at what Mail's doing, Photos is doing, Notes is doing, iTunes is doing, Apple Music is doing, the interconnection between all this is, and this is the complexity I was referring to earlier, Owen, this complexity didn't exist 10 years ago. I'm not talking about individual apps and the powers within them, but and that's really why I think Photos got sort of pulled back. Photos is more complicated today because now it's on all your devices, you know, and it syncs between all of them and the changes sync between all of them. And I think honestly, Apple's having trouble with that. And that's what they need to solve. Other companies are further down the road because they've been doing it longer. And, you know, Google services uh, have, have been around a long time. And well, here's Apple the difference. Played that game. I, I would interject with this. The, it's not that some of these companies have been doing it longer. It's that Apple's been around a long time, and they've had to shift their business model where these other companies haven't. This was their business model from day one. Agreed. And uh, Apple, I think, is still being run and internally is still viewed as a smaller company than what they actually are. Uh, I do wonder sometimes if Apple, at its core, really understands the power and influence that brand has. Of course they do. You think they do? I don't know. Sometimes I wonder. But, you know, I'm, I'm listening to, to what you're saying, Dan, and I, and I agree. The underlying complexity has gone way up. And, uh, and maybe because of that complexity, the UI and UX elements of these things are suffering. That, that's a very good possibility. On the other hand, as I sit here staring at one of my old Macs, and you know I have a big stack of them. I've gotten rid of most of them, but I have a big stack of them. I think about how many times they crashed and how apps didn't run and how many times I had to reboot my Mac in the old days. And I, I mean, yeah, there was still always problems there. Uh, so, so that wasn't perfect going into here. To me, the problem here is, and I think I'm going to go back to what you said originally, change for change sake. I, and the, the one I always point to is the scrolling of a mouse wheel. Okay. There was no reason to change it. Now, if you want to add the other thing as an option, great. But why take something that was 30 years old and say, hey, we decided that natural means the other direction? Right. Well, they got that because that's how you did it on an iPad or an iPhone. Right. It was more maybe, natural maybe, on that it, device. And why not bring that over to the desktop? 
And that well, is an bring option. Bring it as an option. Yeah. Why it make is it? An op- you but can they, turn but it they off. made, yeah, but they made it very difficult to turn they it off. They had to make it turn off. You know, I mean, it was, it's, you don't, you don't change things that, that are there and working and people like just because you can. And I think that's what I see. I think you're right, Dan. The underlying complexity has gotten more difficult and I think they've done pretty well with it. Uh, iCloud Drive and all its functions right now work pretty well. Uh, even, even on my. Compared Android, to what? Well, even on my Android, I'm using iCloud. Okay, there are people have written apps to hook into it, so my Mac and my Android are synced, and that's that to me amazes the hell out of me that it works that well. Um, but I think they're lacking in the polish they used to have, and that's the part that bugs me the most. Yeah, it feels like too many things are released before it should have been released, and that's yeah. based solely on marketing. That a marketing department says this is when we're releasing. And you know the the engineering core is uh, beholden to them. That's when that's that's the date. That's when you got to release, and that's how, unfortunately, I think a lot of businesses are run. Yeah. And let's not kid ourselves. Apple's always been beholden to the marketing department. I mean, going way back to even when Steve was not there. Well, you know, I almost got fired for that, right? Yes, I do. I created a technology that let the marketing department take over, and they screwed it up, <laughs> and they blamed me for the technology. Well, <laughs> I, you know, I, on this subject, I would finish with this. I've been using Macs for a very long time. They simply don't crash like they used to. Agreed. They just don't. They're super solid. Uh, when I have to actually reboot my Mac, it's a, oh, wow, I actually need to reboot. Okay. Wow. It's been, I don't even know how long it's been since I've had to reboot this machine. Whereas, and, and you both can probably attest to this. It was a daily occurrence <laughs> or an <laughs> hourly occurrence, depending on what yeah. you were doing with that machine back in the day. Now, whether that's a, a testament to the quality of the software or simply because we have so much RAM and hard drive space now where we didn't, we were really constrained before, I don't know. But it to me, it doesn't matter because it's just, it works most of the time. It's very stable. And I, I don't even give it two thoughts most of the time. What do you think, Dan? Yeah, I think overall, uh, especially on Mac, I've seen that uh, large uh, gains in overall stability. I haven't been a Mac user that long, about 10 years. But even compared to 10 years ago, you're right. There, When you're talking about rebooting a Mac, I'm thinking back. I've got a MacBook Pro and a Mac Mini, and I don't remember the last time I was forced to. I've done it, you know, for updates and things of that nature, but I can't remember a crash that I had to reboot in years. Yeah. What about you, Owen? I I agree with you. Uh, But remember now, the operating system... Like you said, there's more. There's more to it, and it protects uh, this operating system. And we didn't have protection when we did the old Mac version. No, uh, an, app, an application could take out the computer, and it did every day for me, and it, it, multiple multiple times a day for me. Sure. Wow, the application. And I've seen applications quit um, occasionally, but they don't take your computer down when they do that. So that's improvements in the operating system and stuff have made that much better. So yeah, I think they're more reliable for sure. And- and to be clear, uh, Tim, I think one thing we should probably clarify is that what Walt Mossberg was talking about, what Marco was talking about with his article in the LA Times is talking about, they're focusing more in on their standalone Apple-branded applications and the services as opposed to necessarily the OSs. I think there that's a separate conversation, and there's, of course, weaknesses to be identified there. But I think the real pain is going in on these apps and the services. And the services, and I said this on last week's show, I think this, the the reason Apple has so many problems with their services is that it's tacked onto the operating system, whereas on the Google side, and to a lesser degree on the Microsoft side, uh, they're much deeper. They're part of the operating system. And with the Mac, it's just not that way. It's just yet something else that's tacked on on top of the OS and I think inherently that's just not the way to do it. I would really like to see Apple start the Mac OS from the ground up once again. Call it Mac OS 11 if they want to. I don't care. But and really bake in the services on a deep level, and I just don't think it is right now. So I, I will argue, by the way, I'm, I'm just staring at my uptime for my Windows 7 machine. Two weeks, 22 hours, 17 minutes. Well, now, I'm not saying that Windows, Windows is worse. Windows is or better, Sure, absolutely. You know, it's like, oh, yeah. I know. Uh, uh, no question about it. I think Windows has come a very long way. 
And but th- that goes back to my point is is Apple the new Microsoft that their stuff just doesn't work as well as the competitor? I think that's false. I think Apple's software works actually better than Microsoft or Android and Chrome. Yeah. Uh, I think it's much more polished, but I have seen a decline in the services, in the apps, as Dan is saying, that over time and taken together is, to me, a worrying trend. And I wonder if there's somebody at Apple that really gets that. Are they really listening to the John Grubers of the world and us that are saying, hey, this is a problem? Or is Apple simply this echo chamber? They're not hearing anybody but themselves, and they keep patting themselves on the back because of how much money that they're making. Time will tell. Time will tell. Time will tell. It's... um I, for me, the biggest problem, which makes them feel like Microsoft to me, is the change for change sake. Um, I used to dread every time a new version of Word came out. Yeah. I think in one of my reviews, I wrote that I spent more time learning how to use it than I spent using it, and and I find that Apple has been doing that, and that's my biggest gripe: is like stop changing things just because you can. You know, you get us used to an interface, and then it's gone. Speaking of gone, it's time for us to uh, take a quick break. And we will be right back. And then I'm moving my whole base of operations to Universal Studios. <laughs> Old guys wandering around. I just can't imagine what could possibly, possibly go wrong. <laughs> <laughs> now, we're watching you too. Yeah. We're the clueless hosts of the My Mac podcast. <laughs> Thank you so very, very much for downloading the MyMac.com podcast. We really, really do appreciate it. Tell me about it. (laughs) People like us. Apparently, people like to respond on Facebook to hairy, bald guys who said stupid things. Why don't you bring us in? Back here on the Tech Fan Podcast 242. Dan Lazette, Owen Rubin, and me, Tim Robertson. We would love to get feedback. We have some, but I'm actually going to hold it for when David's back. But we would love to get feedback from you. You can leave a comment either at techfanpodcast.com or mymac.com. We'll see it. We'll read it here on the show. Or you can send it on uh, Facebook or an email, the show at techfanpodcast.com. And there's always the Twitter tech fan podcast so guys i was reading a really cool story that i i never really thought of but it kind of piqued my interest and that's there's an online squabble or online legal squabble with publishers over the uh how do i put this the the need to copyright law so the the basic law so there's a there's a website that they give you access to the law. In this case, I believe it's Louisiana. And they have a copyright to be the only ones to do this. And another company comes in, and they're making the same electronic documents, these law books, uh, available to people. And one company sues the other. Now this other company is suing them back and saying, you can't copyright law. This is the law. This doesn't belong to anybody. It belongs to the people. What do you guys think about that? Can you copyright the law? I mean, this is, it's the law. How do you copyright the law? Are they copywriting? The, do they mean the copyright on the book? The, or do they mean the, the, that if Louisiana does a law that no other state can do the same law? No. It means that if there's a law and you want to research it, you have to go to this one company because they have the copyright for the digital version of that law. I'm sorry for laughing, but that just seems silly. I I, I don't get it, Dan. Do you? Do you? It doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. But you know what popped into my mind when you were telling this story? This whole like ability to constrain something that is basically in what would be most thought of as the public forum. I mean, Aaron Swartz kind of jumped in my mind in terms of all that he was out there doing with. Um, you know, the uh, academic journals that he was trying to set free, if you will, and got all kinds of trouble and and sadly ended up taking his own life. But, you know, that is sort of the same type of idea, this concept that this is should be in the public domain and nobody has a right to, you know, not, uh, <laughs> or in this case, to copyright it, it seems. Well, I can understand a little bit when it comes to academia, but 
not the law. You can't copyright the law. It doesn't belong to a publishing company. It belongs to the people because it directly affects. You have a right to that information. It's the law. I am the law. I've been wanting to do that. Um, I don't. I you can't copyright that. To me, that comes down to a civil liberties, doesn't it, Owen? That's I, so you can't copyright the civil liberties. So I'm I'm wondering if someone says in court. Uh, gee, I didn't know that law because I had to pay to view a book that had the law in it, and I couldn't. Well, that, that's a whole different social. Well, uh, but wait, problem. wait, but you're right. Copyright, right? You're going to copyright. Most people copyright eventually because they want to sell something, right? Right, and so well, that's what they're doing. Company, is this company going to sell these books now, and it's not going to be available? Online or publicly, unless you pay for it. I mean, what's the goal of copywriting? Well, that's exactly what it is. That's exactly, and then this other company who got sued because they had versions of it up on their website for their subscribers said, "No, you can't copyright the law. That's you, you can't do that." So there's a big court battle about this, <laughs> and and I guess this is something that's never came up before. There's a there's another case that's pending at the same time. But this has never come up. Someone trying to copyright the law and restrict access. Because at the end of the day, if you restrict access by charging for it, the only people the law is ever going to serve are rich people. And that's kind of against the law, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) But is it against against the law? Because how would you know? (laughs) I don't know. This is, I think it's fascinating. It's more fascinating trying to Google this, uh, Tim, because when I try to write copywriting laws, all I get is the the laws on copyright. Well, there's the uh, Ars Technica link right here in Skype. I will put it in the show notes for TechFan, what is it, 242. Um, Online legal publishers squabble over the rights to copyright the law. And I read it twice, and it seems like an open and shut case to me, but what do I know? Well, look at the picture of all those books, right? So you've been, if you've ever been in a lawyer's office, they have all these books on the wall of the laws, right? Is, are those books copyrighted? I wonder. Mm. You, know, you know what this it looks like it boils down to is this is states looking for money. Basically, I think the line that's most important here comes as states across the nation partner with legal research companies yeah. to offer exclusive publishing and licensing deals for digiting, uh, digitizing and making available online the state's reams of laws and regulations. It's a business deal. The, yeah. the, the states are looking for some revenue, partner with these companies and say, OK, you're the only one who's going to be able to do this, uh, you know, and pay us, you know, quarter mil or whatever the case may be. So it's, it all comes down to business. States are looking for revenue. So maybe the way this this works out is the the, the selling of these books, the people who have the right to sell the books no. that lawyers and judges use, so, maybe those are copyrighted, but the Georgia to the text has to be online. Right. Here's here's what a uh, one small part of this article. Georgia has already defended its right to license the law and is suing legal rebel public.resource.org based in California for publishing the Peach State's Laws, that case is pending. Wow. So Georgia is trying to defend its right to license. Right. They're trying to save their money. (laughs) Well, they're trying to make money. Yeah, the money that's coming from their licensee, they're probably getting a good, you know, annual whatever. Yeah. Wow. To me, this seems like a no-brainer, but you know what? This is the kind of thing that kind of hides in the bowels of websites that you don't really hear about on CNN or USA Today. Um, that we actually really need to know about that th- this is the kind of thing that should be mainstream news and it's just not i and mean this is why everyone should be listening to, to tech, tech fan, fan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, i it's i think it's really really interesting here's something else that's really interesting and i'll get to the main thing we're going to talk about after this AT&T is going to start testing 5G networks uh, Verizon said they're doing the same thing this year and Sprint said they're going to do it as well. So with 5G, you're talking about extremely fast downloads, uh, gigabit per second, gigabit per second download speeds. Huh. Um, what do you think this does, Owen? I mean, look, I'm not complaining. My phone isn't fast. There's, or It's not slow, I should say. 
Uh, I've got he's not bad. Yeah, I mean, whether I'm on, in fact, sometimes it's it's quicker to download a quick video on LTE than it is on my Wi-Fi network for no apparent reason. You should say that. So as cell phones got better and better and better, landlines disappeared. Most people were getting rid of landlines. If if the LTE downloads and these new data networks get better and better and better, and the prices become competitive, which I hope they will, maybe you don't need that cable modem or or you know UVerse or DSL connection at your could, house. Could five G put an end to Comcast? Dan? It could hurt him. It could hurt him for sure. What do you think, Dan? Uh, yeah, it'll hurt. But I think what you will see as that happens, because if if the wireless, especially through cell towers, becomes that type of speed, then you may not need the landline. But you're going to see Comcast was already – didn't they try to obtain T-Mobile? They inquired yeah, Sprint. They, they failed not, every time. Yeah, they're the going to somehow – they're going to find a way. Well, Comcast also owns NBC. So if worse comes to worse, they're not the, the delivery experts. They're the content producers. And I still think that there's a lot of money in that. But – if 5G is the answer, if it's longer, faster, better, what do you need a cable subscription to anything for? What do you need cable internet in your house for? What do you need Wi-Fi for? Everything will run through 5G, and it's going to be so fast, you can actually emulate a Wi-Fi signal on your phone for any old devices that you still need to contact or connect to. Uh, you could stream used. right from your phone directly to your TV in 4K. and But it'll be used. Tim, right now, you know, I mean, what do I get? Ten gig on my AT and T account. Yeah, but it's only you know? it. Yeah, that right now that's it's that way. But so I think what Comcast does is Comcast says, "Well, we, we'll give you more data, and they'll they'll come out with the the next mode of their cable modem, next version that'll run at a hundred gigabits. You know, you'll, you'll start approaching you know fiber speeds, and that's how they'll compete." Like yeah, you need were, it that fast. Like it really needs to be that fast. But you know, uh, I hear was it four or five markets right now? Comcast is rolling out testing on a a two hundred gigabit. There you uh, go. Connection right now. There you go. There's like four or five markets that are testing. Yeah, and they they're really trying to stave off Google and their fiber yep. rollout plans. I, I just think at the end of the day, as long as it's affordable, and unfortunately, I think right now none of the mobile plans and none of the landline based plans technically are affordable they're all extremely expensive um the price limits yeah yeah and the limits and you know uh, well what i hope it will do is lower prices but it's not you know you know when's the last time anything like this has lowered prices the only thing i've seen recently owen that's gone down in prices is gasoline i know it (laughs) would buzz me i i i told you when we went to china we went we visited this guy who was getting fiber to his house and paying 19 dollars a month right and I think my Comcast system right now, which is what eighteen or twenty-five, I can't remember what the number is down. It cost over a hundred bucks. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So, <laughs> so, but give, give me an example of the last time AT and T, Verizon, Comcast, or any of those places lowered their rates at the that. same time, increasing the speeds. I can do that. Go for it. So, on my iPhone, when we updated all of us to iPhones. AT&T offered me a family plan that had more data at the faster speed uh, and unlimited calling and unlimited texting, and the price dropped about $60 a month. Mm, that's pretty good. Yeah, they came up with that family share thing. It Rather than have three individual accounts, we put them all into a family share. So do you think that it's... It, it went down. So do you think that we need regu- government regulations to force these companies to make affordable plans, or do you think that... The capital, free market, blah, 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 the competitors are going to force them to lower the price because, honestly, I start looking at some of the plans for cable television and Internet and cell phones, and they, they're all within 20 bucks of each other for around the same amount of data. Yep. I mean, that smells like collusion in, in, in to my nostrils, Dan. Yeah, and anything that involves Internet, uh, wired, wireless, cellular, otherwise – those costs are just going to go up. And the biggest reason is exactly what we were just talking about. These auxiliary services that a company like Comcast or Time Warner or Cox or any of them are offering are dying. The landlines and cable internet itself is all uh, fading. And it could be different speeds. Landlines are dying real fast. Um, but 
you know, and cable is struggling. And a lot of that's going more online, whether it be HBO or Showtime or Netflix or Amazon, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so what's going to happen is as the delivery for all this moves to cellular or to, you know, cable Internet, they're going to bump that cost little by little, piece by piece, every quarter. They're going to find a way. Comcast is messing around with data caps. Yep. They're testing in, in, in at home. And what's funny is I've got Comcast and I've got an app that looks at how much data we pull. And we're a house of we technically have the cable, but boy, do we stream a lot, multiple devices, computer. And right now, I'm in danger of blowing through the cap if they applied it to my market. So they're going to get them. And, and they say, oh, you can maintain a li- unlimited for 30 to $35 more a month. Right, exactly. So, Pay us more. That's what I have. I have they're going to get the money. We have caps here. So there is a cap. I, I got kicked off of Comcast the first time I was on them because I kept blowing through the caps. They actually said, you're, you're done. Because I was way over their limits. Because I was doing like you do, streaming a lot. Yep. When I went back to Comcast again from Uverse, because I wanted the higher speeds, uh, I had to buy the business service, which doesn't have the caps, and that's about thirty-five dollars more a month. Yeah. Because yep. we stream a lot of films, a lot of movies. We watch. Well, that's the thing. Everybody is now. I mean, just look at the number of users HBO just picked up with their HBO Go app. Look at Netflix. Look at Amazon. These streaming services are the hottest thing out there on the Internet today. Look at YouTube. I mean, it's massive. Tim, I want to comment on that. Yeah. Um, I said a long time ago, because you knew I was in the cable business, right? Mm -hmm. Pac Bell, we did did cable. Uh, And people kept saying, oh, I want want a la carte. I want to buy them individually. And I kept saying that you'll pay a lot more money when they go individually. So if you buy Showtime to go and HBO to go, and what's the new one? CBS is introducing... um, All Access. Yeah. All Access. And you know, by the way, the new Star Trek series will show one episode on broadcast, and then it'll only be available on All Access. And that's... And Torrance. That's like six bucks. It's When you start adding all these things together... You're going to pay more. You're going to pay a ton more... Then you did. And what's also going to happen is you're going to see a lot of things disappear. The channels that you kind of watch but aren't really popular, they will disappear because they would have to go to $15 a month to afford not getting a dollar from every cable subscriber. And you'll see, you'll see content disappear for a while. It'll, it'll correct itself eventually, but it's going to go up in price. What do you think, Dan? I fully agree. I've actually had this conversation on another show once, and I fully agree with Owen. Once your a la carte services start being delivered uh, over the air, OTA, you know, one by one subscriptions, you will pay more and you will have less. And that's exactly where this is all heading. And that I think probably won't sustain either. I think there's probably going to be a correction there, but what will eventually happen is we're going to find ourselves pretty much where we are right now, except. We're blowing through our data caps. Yeah, Sling TV is a perfect, you know, OTA service that basically does bundling right now with a subset of channels, twenty bucks a month. There you go. And then they have add-on packages, little bundles for five or ten dollars to add on to that. Then they're basically becoming a OTA cable subscription by and large. Um, so something needs to dramatically happen to be able to change the whole equation as it sits. And I just don't know what that would be. I mean, all of them go to a buck or two a month, but that's not going to happen. No. That's what, but that's what you pay today. You don't realize that. If you have, like, I have Dish Network, which has Sling built in, so I get that free. Um, so I pay, let's say I pay $79 for that. I get access to 300 channels, most of which I don't give a damn about, which is what makes people want to go a la carte. But on the other hand, I have access to 300 channels because of that $79. A lot of these guys are getting fifty cents, twenty-five cents, a dollar from that subscription, and there are millions of subscribers, so they get enough money to create content. But if I started to say, oh, "Let me pick my channels," I'd be dropping probably most of them. Yeah, right. I'd pick twenty twenty-five. It would be but a popularity contest. No are question. Go to five to fifteen dollars each. I'm going to still pay a hundred dollars, seventy-nine dollars. Yeah. I'm just going to get ten, right? Yep. Yeah. And people wonder why torrent sites are so popular. <laughs> Ask when this new. Uh, take a look at the torrent sites once this new Star Trek comes out. Oh, it, you, you know damn well most people will be watching it from an illegal download. Well, they already did that with Green, Game of Thorns, and HBO yeah. came out and said we don't care. That's fine. Well, they first originally they did care. Yeah, I know someone who torrents, and he torrented one. I don't use torrents. I won't use torrents because they broadcast who you are. But um, he downloaded one. HBO and immediately got a cease and desist letter from HBO through his cable provider. 
his, his cable modem. You got to pay for one of those private VPNs that I read about online. Yep. But even that, even those, and then that costs money. <laughs> so just those, get it legally. What will happen? This is an industry I know well. You have to find a VPN provider that guarantees your that you're anonymous. Because what happens is, if you go and download something, and HBO discovers the download, then they go after the VPN guy and say it came from you. And the VPN guy isn't going to take the heat. He's going to pass it back to you and say, stop doing this. Yep. Right? So, so it, and, you know, the DCM, the DMCA, Digital Money and Copyright Act, is, is got a lot of teeth. And it's got people scared. So your, your ISP or your VPN is going to say, I, that wasn't me. Here's the guy who had that address. I don't know how well it will protect you. And I suspect as it gets more expensive, the teeth are going to go up. So right? here's the last thing I want to talk about because... I'll be honest with you guys, this filled me with a lot of excitement, and it still is. It's uh, it, To me, this is amazing. You guys have been reading about this. Everyone knows about it. The Laser Info, Inferometer Gravitational Wave Observatory, or LIGO, proved this week gravity waves are real. How amazing is it, guys, that we live in a world where they just proved gravity waves are actually real? <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Well, what are they going to do with it? Well, are we going to get anti-grav? That would be so cool. <clears throat> well, the thing is, up to this point, gravity waves was simply a, a, a theory that Einstein came up with 100 years ago. But it it let us know that the theory is correct and that now that we can observe them, although we only have done it once at this point, the technology is going to get better to observe them and it's going to allow us to have a better understanding of how the universe works. Will this eventually lead to warp drives and stuff like that? I don't know, but the science behind it and the science, you know what? Here's what makes me the most excited the news coverage that this got is amazing. Yeah. And for someone who loves science the way I do, even though I'm not the smartest guy in the world, um, it was exciting. It was exciting that people are actually paying attention to something to do with science, gravity waves, and, and people are talking about it. I think that's probably the most important aspect of all of this, Dan. What do you think? Yeah, well, and you see a lot of that with the space stuff, too, in the yeah. last couple of years. Uh, science as a whole is getting more and more attention, and I think that's because science is advancing so far so fast, and, and um, they are making leaps and bounds uh, in terms of discoveries or confirmations or what have you. And uh, I agree with you. I mean, these you mentioned earlier about when we were talking about the copywriting law thing, how not enough people know about these important things. Well, even though this is getting some big coverage, I would still probably say it's probably not enough in terms of its importance and in terms of full exposure. It would be, this is something that needs to be just basically copied and updated into school textbooks. Yeah, absolutely. But I think that science is just not sexy enough for the mainstream media. Yeah. It, yeah. it doesn't, they're going to sit there and talk about what a singer did at the Super Bowl and nauseam and only give a, a two minute, oh, hey, look, gravity, gravity waves are real. And then one guy joking, oh, that means warp drive soon, huh? Beam me up, Scotty. Ha, ha, ha. In other news, <laughs> you know. You saw that report, too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We've all seen that report. And it just it boggles my mind that the general population doesn't get it and they don't care. And so when I see a news story like gravity waves are real breaking big on the internet and it's on all social media, it was not really made fun of on the news that I've seen. That gives me hope that, you know what? Maybe we're starting to turn that corner where at least here in the United States, we used to hold scientists um, up on a pedestal. We we love those guys. They were heroes. And we got away from that for a very long time in the United States. I would like to see us get back to that because I think science is what makes a people great, you know, uh, moving the sciences forward. And it seems like in this country anyways, 
it's kind of been going the opposite direction for a number of decades. So when I see this kind of a news story, it gives me hope. I think in the last five to seven years, we've seen a turn. When you talk about putting scientists on a pedestal, how many movies have we seen come out in the last five to seven years, especially where they were almost biopics, uh, you know, highlighting the achievement of so many of these great, uh, you know, scientists or theologians or theorists uh, that have just done amazing things. Space movies, The Martian and Star Wars and all the, I think it's all coming back towards the mainstream. All the Pluto stuff and the Mars and the rovers and the pictures. There's so much more now into the public consciousness in the last five to seven years, I think, than there has been in a long, long time. What do you think, Owen? I agree. And that's really cool. I went, when I'm reading the opening line of this, a team of scientists announced on Thursday that they heard and recorded the sound. Why does this thing keep playing an advertisement? It says, they heard and recorded the sound of two black holes colliding. Holy crap. <laughs> like, I mean, it's, oh, like 1.2 billion years ago it happened. Yeah. I mean, what's really cool about this is that it's, you know, everybody's known that gravity exists. You, that's why you stick to the ground. But, but it's been one of those things that no one could prove. And the fact that now they can prove gravity. It, and it's and gravity waves. Drive because we're not going... Proving gravity doesn't necessarily mean we're going to go faster than the speed of light. They're, they're two separate things. But it does – if you could control gravity, you could make your car hover over the road. Well, it goes a lot longer – a lot further than that. Gravity waves defy time and space. Just think about that for a minute. It yeah, bends time and space. So being able to prove that it – exists and be able to eventually harness that type of uh, technology, what could that lead to? I, I, I think we can't even imagine yet. But take the simple part, Tim. That's what I was going to say. T- say I can negate a gravity wave. Yeah. Imagine construction, um, moving heavy objects, you know, all this stuff that you could you do every, that goes on every day around the world now becomes more energy efficient and becomes easier to do. And so imagine just what will happen in everyday things where, where the size and weight of something creates a problem. Uh, it, it would apply to everything. Surgeries. What everything would surgeries look like yeah. when you don't have to worry about gravity? Yeah. I mean... I mean, if you think about semiconductors, they were doing things on the space shuttle, tests of building chips in a gra- gravityless environment or less gravity to be really honest but that they could do things in design of semiconductors that they can't do on the planet yeah because gravity screws them up you could get you know this idea of miniaturization going down again that needs a gravityless environment imagine applying this to something like chip technology i think that uh when something like this big discoveries like this happen in the world uh, it makes me happy to uh be around right now to see it and this was a dream of a lot of very smart scientists for the last hundred years, and their work was just validated. I think that's so fantastic, Dan. It is. I absolutely completely agree, and, and I think people should take those few moments to read up on the story that I'm sure you're putting in the show notes, Tim. Uh, I don't even need to because it's, it's everywhere. It's everywhere, yeah. yeah. If you just look up gravity waves right now, it's I've seen – 20 videos, cartoons explaining what this is. I've seen uh, very small articles of why this is important and 20-page documents, white papers of the theory behind it and why it's important. It's just, I I love it. I don't have to put show notes in. And to me, (laughs) that is the best thing right there. Not just because I'm lazy, but because it's... (laughs) It's everybody's reading about it right now. Everyone has their attention focused on something as positive of gravity waves exist. Here it is. It's I, I love it. I'm in heaven right now. It's fantastic. <laughs> so flying cars. Yeah, flying well, cars. Well, speaking of, we need to wrap up this episode of Tech Fan. We'll start with you, Owen. Where can people find you online? Uh where can they find me online these days? Well, orubin.com has a bunch of old stuff for me, and it has a mail link. You can actually mail me directly on the link on there. That's probably the easiest way. On Facebook, uh, you can find me on Owen Rubin. And uh, so what am I? Orubin at mymac.com. Yeah, absolutely. What about Dan Lizette? 
and the Podcast Digest. I'm all over the place, but for the Podcast <laughs> Digest, uh, follow me on Twitter. That's where I put out so many uh, announcements and updates. That's at Pod Digest. The podcastdigest.info is the website. And if you're listening to this and you like technology, obviously I'm a huge junkie for it as well. I've talked to a lot of great guests on my show. Uh, check out my back catalog. I've talked with John Syracuse, Russell Ivanovich from uh, Pocket Cast, the developer for Pocket Cast. I also talked with Jason Snell, Mike Hurley, Casey Liss, all kinds of folks, Stephen Hackett. Uh, it's uh, in You've the- also had a couple stinkers, I, I, I got to admit. There was this one guy about <laughs> Wait, a year ago. And yeah. Tim Robertson. Yeah, he was. Yeah, I want to hear good. that conversation way back. You know what's Ooh. funny? I, I never actually listened to that when it came out. I listened to it about a month ago. I was driving back from Detroit, and it was getting pretty late. It was dark out, and I had just hit random play, and that's the episode that played. I was like, oh, my God, I never listened to this. And it was kind of weird listening to yourself answer questions from a year ago, and you're like, I wonder what I said about this question. <laughs> it's, it's almost like something new. That's yeah. episode 23. Three folks. Yeah, I was on pretty early, wasn't I? Yeah, February 1st of last year. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's a little over a year ago at this point. Well, Dan, Owen, thanks very much for being on Tech Fan this week, and we will be back in one week. See you then.